Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Well, good evening, everyone. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We finished chapter 11 after, I don't know, 11 weeks. Felt like 11 weeks. But as I said before, we, we're going to be closing out this, this book very soon. And then I'm very excited to begin our study in the book of Genesis, which will take us through really the rest of the year uh, to do the book of Genesis. We're going to walk through that. It's our book of beginnings. And so we're going to just have a great time in that book. There's, so, there's such a wealth of information and wisdom and revelation in the book of Genesis that we're going to just spend great time in, all right? Uh, but I just want to remind you, too, uh, that... Uh, weekly, we're going to be sending out uh, a promise verse every week for you to memorize. Remember, I encourage you to memorize one promise verse a week for this year, and by the end of this year, you will know over 50 promises from the Scriptures. Just one simple verse a week. So how many of you have already signed up for the, for the text and have already received those, those first two verses? All right, so I want to encourage you. Uh, can we bring that up on the screen, Alex? Uh, if, you, if you would like to uh, receive those texts, alerts every week you can they'll bring up the address in just a moment that you can uh, there you go uh, text at ocproc to 81010 and then you'll get updates every week of the new promise scripture the first one is jeremiah chapter 33 3 is scripture that felt like the lord laid on my heart for our church for this year uh, which is call to me and i will answer you and will show you great and mighty things that you do not know Amen. Can we just do that? Let's just lift our heads to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm calling to you. Show me great and mighty things that I do not know. I thank you that you will answer me in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Continue to say that. Continue to confess that over your life, over your family, over our ministry, over your business. This year. We're looking for the great and mighty things from our Heavenly Father. Amen? And then Psalm chapter 65, 11 also, it says that, uh, excuse me, anybody have it memorized? Psalm 65, 11 yet? Oh, Pearl, come on now. Since you quit watching the Cowboys, you put all your time into something constructive. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, if I had a gold star, I'd give you one, but in my heart, I just gave it to you, okay? Amen. All right, let's stop this. Let's go to Hebrews 12 now. Verse 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what is this cloud of witnesses he's talking about? He's talking about all those that we read through in Hebrews chapter 11, those who who by faith experienced extraordinary events in their lives. Abraham, the father of our faith, Moses, who, who brought the children of Israel out of bondage, uh, Sarah, who judged him faithful, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and all these great patriarchs of faith, these great men and, and matriarchs, great men and women who decided, Rahab the harlot, who decided they were going to believe God. And then let him have, let him give supernatural intervention into the natural course of life. And 
So now it says, since we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now let me, let me just kind of go ahead and debunk a, a wrong thinking here, all right? And that is, some might believe that, oh, well, those guys are watching over us. That's what it might sound like. That's what it's saying. They're, they're looking down on us. No, 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 nothing could be further from the truth. They don't care what we're doing. But they got their eyes full of Jesus. Now, I know, I, I know it's comforting to say that my grandma's watching over me or my grandpa's watching or somebody's watching over me. No, Jesus is watching over you. That's all you need to know. All right, they could care less. They're not even thinking about what's going on on the earth. All right? I know Hollywood makes you think somehow through their movies and that, no. No. Let me tell you, the moment you see Jesus with your own eyes, nothing in the world, no person in the world is going to matter at that moment to you. He is the fulfillment of everything that you've ever wished, dreamed, and hoped for. The Word teaches this. Let me just give you a verse of Scripture. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, Chapter 9, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're going to read verses 5 and 6. It says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Watch this. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. So do you see? They're, they're in another place. Those who have gone on before us, those who have gone on in faith, they are with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're fellowshipping with one another in a place called heaven, a place called glory. They have no share in what's going on here on the earth. All right? This is the land of the living. All right? That's also a land of the living, but living in another way, in another realm, another dimension, the realm of the Spirit. But here in the natural... One thing does not have to do with another. They're just totally wrapped up in what's going on in heaven. The cloud of witnesses, what this means is, let me explain what this means. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That is, those who have tested this thing called faith, tried it, and found it to be true. They have actually experienced the victory that faith gives us. All right? They are witness to living by faith that it is the winning way to live. All right? And since we're surrounded by a, a cloud of witnesses, or actually the, the literal meaning is a multitude of witnesses, all right? A whole multitude of witnesses that have their lives have are examples to us, are witness to us that walking by faith is the only way to walk. Yeah. Living by faith is the only way to live. Are you got that? Yeah. All right, come on, act like you love me. Yeah. I know I might have messed you up tonight. I said, no, my grandma's watching. Okay, if you want to believe, that's fine. You don't have to believe the Bible if you don't want to. Believe whatever you want. <laughs> uh, come on, I need a hug. Can you just do this for me right quick? Can you just reach out to me? Come on, who will give me a hug? To, thank you. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling that. Thank you. Now I feel all warm and cozy and sad. Okay. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside how many weights? Every weight. And the sin. I want you to notice something, that Hebrews here makes a distinction between weights and sins. Weight and sin. Weight and sin. All right? Both of these things encumber, 
Both of these things distract. Both of these things take away. But the weight might not necessarily be, or apparently it's not, necessarily a sin in your life, but it can be something that is hindering your process, that is distracting you from running with everything in you. All right? You know, Paul said it like this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All right? Paul said, I have the liberty then to do anything I want, but I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live by this rule. And that is just because I can doesn't mean I necessarily should. And what will bring the most profit? What I can do or what I can get away with or what is going to profit not only my life but others' lives? This is Christian Maturity 101. Huh? Just because you can doesn't mean you necessarily should. Do you, are you going to live your life for what's lawful for you or what is profitable? Huh? What's profitable? I want to live on the better side. Hmm? The better side. The better side of things. The better decision. All right? So he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Heather and I uh, started this beginning of the year, I realized I probably needed to drop some weight. So we started this demonic diet that we're, that we're on. Every diet is demonic. No, it's actually not too bad. It's just a protein and vegetables kind of thing, you know, which means no bread, no chips, no sugar, no fun. And in just a few, no, she didn't make me this. She didn't make this. But, you know, she bought all the stuff that we would do it, so it's sitting in the house and in the refrigerator. What am I supposed to do? So we've been doing this the last few days or so, you know. And I know, I, in, ten, in seven, seven days, I dropped 12 pounds. Seven days. I was tracking on, on the scale. I dropped 12 pounds, just like that. I noticed I started feeling better immediately, having a little more energy in the afternoons. I thought, wow, that's interesting. This stuff actually does work if you just do it, just lay aside the weight. And, and I found that even today, I had a really long day. I've been up since 3.30 this morning and, and just had to start early. And I got up, and, and I found that even this afternoon, I had, like, energy that I normally would not have had. I had endurance for the day. And this says, in other words, what it's saying is get in shape for the race. You might need to drop weight to do it. You might need to stop going to the all-you-can-eat buffets. Because <laughs> here's the thing. You have a long race to run. Matter of fact, it's lifelong. Run the race with endurance. You need something to get and keep you motivated for this race? What is it that gets you and keeps you motivated for this long, lifelong race? The very next verse tells you how to stay motivated. Looking unto Jesus. Now that's a powerful thought. That's a powerful thought. We're laying aside the weight. We're laying aside the sin while we're looking to Jesus. 
Now listen to me. People, a lot of people have the idea that they need to do all that first, and then they can look at Jesus. I got to get right. I got to get cleaned up before. Okay, now I feel like I've confessed every wrong thing I've done. I've been on my knees. I've done this and I've done that. Now I feel like I can have audience with God. No, he's saying all of that in one thought. Looking to Jesus is all part of laying aside the weight, laying aside the sin. That's a powerful thing. Let me tell you something. The more you look at him, the easier that becomes. The more you look to Jesus and get your eyes full of him and what he's done for you and his sacrifice, that these kinds of things don't take hold on your life. The weights and the sin, it's as simple as laying them aside. Because here's the thing. Look, watch this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What was set before him? Joy. And, and that joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Because of that joy, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, everything that Jesus did, he did for you. Everything he did for you. So, he was crucified. Guess what happened? So were you. Paul said it in Galatians chapter 2. I am crucified when? With Christ. With Christ. When he died, I died. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus was buried, guess what? So were you. Anybody been water baptized in here? Buried with him in baptism, the scripture says. How about this? He was raised from the dead. And in one sense, you've been raised in newness of life, but there's also a promise that you will be raised from the dead yourself. If Jesus was raised from the dead, you have to be raised from the dead. Otherwise, there was no point to his resurrection because everything he did, he did for you. He's showing you this is what your life will be because when your life is hidden in him, then you do everything he did. He was raised from the dead so you can have an assurance that when you die, that's not the end. That someday the Lord will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. All right, did he rise from the dead? All right, then so will you. Guaranteed. And watch this. He ascended into heaven. Why did he do that? So that you'll do it. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, those, those, those that have died, in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. And thus, we will ever be with the Lord. This is glorious, isn't it? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Guess what happened? Now, according to Hebrews chapter 2, you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. See, he sat down there and so did you. Wow. See, this, for the joy that was set before him. I, and I have to ask my question, all right, what was this joy? What was he looking at? What had Jesus so focused that he was able to endure the hardship, the difficulty, the, the pain and the suffering and the agony and the, 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 the mockery, all of that? How was he able to get the joy that was set before him? What was that joy? You think about this. Think about what Jesus, I mean, he never... He never gave up. He didn't quit. He had all kinds of options. He had all kinds of moments where he could have. He never gave in to temptation. He never caved to the pressure and the persecution of all the religious leaders that were around him. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, which means the Gethsemane means the oil press, all right, or the olive press. 
Here God began to transfer the sins of the world upon his son, and Jesus physically began to buckle under the pressure of our sin. The scripture says that the pressure was so much that he started sweating blood. And he even said at one point, I am dying. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And that's why he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. There's such a wrong idea about what was going on here. And it's preached all over the place. Here Jesus is wrestling with, it's, it's his humanity wrestling with his spirit man. And he's, he's finally fully surrendering to the Father's will. No, he's not. Jesus never swayed from his mission. Jesus is simply trying to survive the garden. Jesus knows there's a cross that he has to get to. So he's saying, Father, let this cup pass from me. Not the cup of my, my sacrifice. Not the cup of me pouring out my, my blood at the cross. This cup right here, because he felt his life slipping away from him. He said he was dying. My brother talked to a medical doctor about that very thing that was happening to Jesus. It's got a long name. He's sweating blood. And that doctor said, that's terminal. You're only, your minutes and maybe at most hours from death. If that happens to you. All right, so, so this, is, this is, he knew that he was dying. The sins of the world began to crush him, and his physical body just began to buckle under the pressure. So he says, let me, let this cup pass from me. Well, guess what happened? Then he said, nevertheless, not my will, Father, but yours be done. If you say this is the end right here, then this is the end. Fully submitted to his father. Never wavering from his mission. Well, guess what the father did? He sent angels to come and give him strength. Jesus survived what he should not have survived and walked out of there. And he went on. He wouldn't quit. He was, he was dying there, and yet he prayed. Let this go. God, I've got a mission to finish. He knew he had to finish this thing on the cross. So I, I question, what was he looking at? What would cause Jesus to keep moving forward in moments like that? You and I, you know, we've had difficulty in our life, but we have never had this kind of difficulty. What this man went through for us is beyond comprehension. So many reasons for despair. So many reasons to quit. You know, Judas has just betrayed him. Peter's cussing everybody out, denying him. I'll die with you. I'll die with you. And yet, when the pressure's on, I don't know it. Everybody else just scatter into the winds. And there he is all by himself. What, what's, why, what is the reason for holding on? Why should I keep going through with this? What is he seeing? He lovingly and willingly bled and died for the sins of all mankind. He willingly let them lay stripe after stripe after stripe, tearing open his precious body for every one of our sicknesses, our disease, our maladies, our calamities, and our pain. What is Jesus seeing to be able to go through stuff like this? What is he looking at? The joy that set before. What is this joy? He intentionally was hung on a tree. He intentionally hung on a cross because the scripture says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He intentionally did so that he would become a curse for you and I so that we would be out, we would be redeemed, I should say, from the curse of the law. That the blessing of Abraham would come upon us. He didn't question it. He didn't falter. He didn't waver. 
He never abandoned his mission to save us. And my question is, how in the world did he do it? What does joy have to do with any of this? Because there's nothing joyful about any of it. That means that joy is beyond this. He's seeing beyond all of this. And, and he's come to the conclusion that this is all worth that. Everything that he has to go, it's all worth that. What's the joy? John 17, John chapter 17, um, is that Brooke back there? Lisa. Hi, Lisa. We're going to look at verse 5 and verse 24. John chapter 17, verse 5 and verse 24. Verse 5 says this, and now Jesus, this is Jesus praying. If you've never read John 17, you might want to go home and just do that tonight. Read this beautiful prayer from Jesus to the Father about us, about his disciples, about the world. It's glorious. Look at this. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So this, this had to be part of the picture he was seeing, that he was going to be back with his Father, back as it was in the very beginning, in all of his glory, back in full communication and communion with his Father, right there sitting next to him. That had to have been so comforting for him to know, all of this is worth it if I can just get back to my dad, just back to my Father, back at his right hand. Don't you know that was part? But that, but that wasn't the whole thing. That wasn't the whole thing. Look at verse 24 now. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Part of the other joy that he said, I don't want to, it's not just about just me being with the Father. I want all those that God gave me to be with me as well, which is all of you here tonight. This was the joy that was set before him. Back with the Father and all of us together forever and ever and ever and ever again. It was to take all of us to heaven with him and to see him in all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his majesty. The joy that was that Jesus would go to the grave, the only begotten Son of God, but he would come to life three days later out of that grave, the firstborn among many brethren. Hallelujah. You were worth every drop of blood that was shed. You were worth every stripe that he took upon his back. You were worth the nails that held him there on that tree. You were worth all the mockery, the, the mock trial, every dying breath, even death itself. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, was really telling us all, you were worth everything that I went through. Look to him. Looking unto Jesus. He is the reason for our living. He's the reason that we're laying aside every weight. He's the reason that we're laying aside. Because we are consumed with his love and his goodness in our life. How could we not live for him? When we really understand, which I don't think we can fully understand, accept, believe, and and, and, and think about it and reason what he has done for us. It's only right that we live for him. He's the reason why you're going to run this race with endurance. He's the reason why you're going to finish strong. That you're not going to let stumbling and staggering and wavering keep you from getting back up and moving forward.
Because what I love about our Heavenly Father, our great God, is He's not just the God of a second chance. I found my experience is He's the God of many chances. Huh? Many chances. His mercies are new. When? Every morning. You cannot exhaust His mercy. I mean, it's a good, good idea not to try to. But it's, you can't exhaust it. You can't exhaust His grace. Is where sin abounded? Grace much more abounded. Wow. Verse 3. Not bad for two verses. I told a couple of guys I was going to finish this chapter tonight. <laughs> Might have lied to them. Verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You know, I think it's interesting. Now listen to this. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Let me ask you a question. What sinners is he referring to here? What sinners is he referring to here? Well, who had him crucified? Who persecuted him nonstop? The Pharisees, the Jews, the religious leaders of the day. And Scripture calls them the sinners. But the religious people call everybody else the sinners. He eats with sinners, and he drinketh wine. Right? And Jesus went to the sinners because the sinners were a lot easier to be around. It was those freaky church people. They're always giving him heck everywhere he went. Not this church, obviously, not this church. That church over there was crazy. It says, he endures such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary. Watch, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. How did Jesus strive against sin? He bled for it. Anybody done that here? All right. Quit your belly aching there. Toughen up. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. We're going to love this part. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Ugh. You know, I, I enjoy reading the Bible until I come across verses like this right here. These are the no-fun verses in the Bible. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor to be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he received. Now, that's a quote from uh, Proverbs chapter 3, I think. I think it's Proverbs chapter 3. Um, and what he's saying is, Okay, I've got to keep reading to, to keep all this in context. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? I am a father, and I doth chasten. I have a father, and he diddeth, chasteneth, my behindeth, offeth. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. 
For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, chastening means correction or instruction. All right? If you, if you are without that, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Or I believe the Greek word is bastardo. No, it's a Spanish word. The bastardos. Furthermore, now watch, if you are without chastening, which means you, you have, look what it says, you are illegitimate and not sons. That means you have not accepted a heavenly father to give you instruction. You're just like, no, I got my own life. I make my own way. I, 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 me, 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 me. Right? So then you are illegitimate. And that means that you cannot enjoy the benefits of sonship, of being in the family of God. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Yeah, see the word, what is it that God does? What is, what is it that God, what system does God use? What way does he use to correct us and to instruct us? You have that book, that holy book in your hands tonight, or that holy book that's in your phone or iPad. Uh, that right there is his instruction. That is how he corrects. God does not use, it would be unjust. Listen to me, it would be unjust for God to use calamities and all kinds of things in your life to bring destruction uh, to teach you some lesson to correct you. It would be absolutely unjust. He would be nothing but a liar if he did that. Because the scripture says Jesus bore our sickness, our disease, our calamity, and our malady. Why would God let Jesus bear that for us and then throw that at us anyway? That makes no sense. I'm telling you what, there are pulpits where men are standing behind those pulpits and they're just teaching that stuff like crazy, just vomiting that garbage out of their mouths and letting people believe that everything that happens is God's will. My question is, where does the devil get any credit in that? If God gives you the good, the bad, and the ugly, where's the enemy? Last I checked, the scripture says, do not make a mistake, do not err on this. This is, the, this is what Pastor James teaches us in the book of James. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, which means he's never going to change. He's good and he's going to be good. If it's coming at you, if it's stealing from you, if it's destroying you, if it's killing you, you can figure it out. That's the stupid, sorry, lousy, no good slew foot himself. Otherwise known as Satan. All right? And he, that's what he's out to do. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. So you're not, they're not on the same team. They're not on the same side. The devil's not on a leash from God. To, All right, sick him there for a while, devil. Yeah, but what about Job? What about Job? That's why, yeah, what, but we got to have the patience of Job. No, I don't have that patience of Job. Job had his own thing going on. In other words, he didn't even, he didn't have what you have today. You have 
someone standing, a mediator between you and God. Job didn't have that. As a matter of fact, he cried out for a mediator. Amen. Don't even try to compare your life to Job. He wished to God he had your experience. By the way, just let me remind you, that whole experience in Job's life lasted something like nine months. Now, it's a long book, all right? It's a long book, and it seems like this thing went on and on forever. But, but as they have dated all of these events and looked at the days, it's something like around nine months that he went through, all right? It seems like this is the whole life of Job. Nine months! That's it. Then he got how much back? Double. So for the rest of his life, he was enjoying the abundance of double. But nobody ever talks about that part of Job. They talk about that lowly nine months. Come on. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present. I can say amen to that, but painful. Amen. Nevertheless, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Hmm? The, Lord's, the Lord's talking to you. I don't know how many times I've sat in church and the preacher started preaching. I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's talking right to me. How did he know? Huh? That's your heavenly Father bringing correction. That's your heavenly Father bringing instruction. Huh? Or when the prophet comes to town, you don't go to church, right? You're like, no way I'm going. They're going to call me out in front of everybody. <laughs> I used to be so scared of that. Afterward, it yields the, watch, look what happens. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. Therefore, strengthen, strengthen the hands which hang down. Or it means lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet. So this is, this is all talking about receive the instruction that you've been given. Receive, embrace the correction from your heavenly Father. Watch this. That what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. The longer you walk on that, that dislocated, that lame foot, the worse it's going to get. All right? So receive the correction. Mm. Anybody ever had a bone pop back in place, or you had a shoulder out of socket and got that put back in place. It was painful for that moment, wasn't it? But then it was over. Looking carefully, pursue peace, I'm sorry, with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short, watch, fall short of what? Of the grace of God. Now there's only, really there, there are two ways to fall short of the grace of God. All right, number one, unbelief. Just not believing. Number two, which is kin to unbelief, self-righteousness. Paul warned in Galatians, he says, those of you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Those of you who are, in other words, trying to gain merit with God through self-righteousness, you have fallen from grace. Wow. So really all of this is about this receiving instruction and us, us striving to, or I shouldn't say striving, to yearning and, and, and working to live right, you know, to make the right decisions, to make good decisions, to pursue peace and those things, that all has to be under the context in the grace of God, not trying to get graced from God, but understanding that you are already graced by God. Because if you feel like you're out here and grace is there waiting for you, then you have fallen short of grace. Uh, Romans says this, uh, 
Uh, Romans 5.1. Thank you. Okay. Therefore, having been justified by faith, yeah, I've been up since 3.30. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we stand in grace. Isn't that glorious? We stand in, grace isn't some place we're trying to get to. Grace is where we are. Where we stand. How do we get there? By faith. By faith in what? By faith in Jesus. That's it. Now we're standing in it. All right, so unbelief and self-righteousness will keep you short of it. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Well, that's true. Watch this. And by this, many become defiled. Because one person's bitter and they start talking. So this has to do with being offended and then taking up others' offenses. All right? I don't know why bitterness spreads so well. That's so palatable for people. Negativity and gossip, all those kinds of things. Nothing, nothing will tear a church apart quicker than, than this right here. Hmm? Divisiveness. Strife. Huh? Like I said Sunday, I mean, I, I could deal a whole lot better with church full of drunk people than people that can't shut their mouths up about each other. All right? I'm not condoning, I'm just saying. If you're going to be one of the two, be drunk. All right. At least we'll all be entertained. That was one of my favorite things about playing in the bars years ago as a Christian band is that we were so the only sober people in the room by the end of the night. And we, we always just talked about who got more entertained tonight, them or us? Or scared. You're exactly right. It was scary sometimes. Now watch. Lest there be any fornicator. <laughs> it's a common word today. <laughs> Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Now listen. Let's check this out. It's, who was profane? Why does Jacob always get denigrated? Jacob, his brother, is always the one getting denigrated. He was a deceiver. He, really, if he was a deceiver, why is God blessing him so much? He cheated Esau. Well, this says Esau's the one that was profane. Wow, isn't it interesting? Who, for one morsel of food, sold his birth. I think it's interesting that it says fornicator and profane person like Esau. What is fornication? Nobody wants to answer that question tonight. Sex outside of marriage. In other words, enjoying the benefit of something that only belongs in marriage. That is, you're jumping the gun. Premature. Esau was premature. He was hungry, so he said, I'll take that. You can have my birthright. Exchanging, in other words, living a small life. Just living a small life. Choosing the temporary right now, what, will, what, will, what can I get right now? And forgetting the larger picture. What will cause you to run the race with endurance? Living 
a small life instead of a blessed life. Verse 17, for you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now, this isn't talking about Esau's repentance. This is talking about his father Isaac's repentance. He was trying to get his dad to change his mind. He sought repentance. He needed his dad. Dad, I know I messed. Listen, Jacob came in, took the blessing. I'm the oldest. I need it. He said, son, I can't reverse that. I've already blessed your brother. I can't go back on that. That's the repentance that Esau was looking for, for his dad to change his mind. And though, even though he cried about it like a baby, it didn't happen. You can't live small and expect to inherit God's blessings too. All right? For you have not come. Listen to verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest. You can read all that about the, in the book of Exodus. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. What a frightening thing it was for them. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Remember when God came down on the mountain, Mount Horeb? And he wanted all the children of Israel to come up, and there was this lightning and darkness and black clouds, and they were like, we are not going up there. We are not going up there. Moses, you go up there for us, sucker. You go up there and all that craziness up there. And I tell you what, you just have God just give us a list of rules, and we'll follow him. The, the law, the Ten Commandments, this was not God's idea. They asked for it. God said, you want a to-do list? Okay. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any, any graven images. You shall, uh, and then he goes through all, uh, you shall not kill, you shall not steal. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it all good. And then once he gets through all of that, you know, I can imagine them going, okay, I can, don't, you know, uh, don't, don't commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. Uh, okay, okay, okay. And then the last one he says, don't even think about any of those things. Oh. All right, you got me there, God. Because he gets right down to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? Because men will justify something. As long as I'm not doing it, it's okay to think about it. No, it's not. Jesus said, if you've done it in your heart, it's just the same as doing it. Another one of those verses. This is no fun verse. And watch this. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. All right? This is not where you've come to now. This is talking about the difference that Jesus made for all of us. All right? That was then, but this is what you've come to. Look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, or Mount Praise. This is glorious. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men, made perfect. That's you. To Jesus, hallelujah, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. How does it speak better things than that of Abel? Abel was killed unjustly by his brother Cain, and his blood was crying out for vengeance. But the blood of Jesus didn't cry out for vengeance. It cried out mercy. It cried out forgiveness. It cried out salvation and redemption for all mankind. See that you do not Refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on earth, 
much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Those who reject this heavenly message, the message of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. All right, if men reject that, then there's no escape. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Verse 27, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And then he explains it. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us do what? Let us have grace. Let us have grace. Why? Why do we need grace? Here's why. By which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. He's going through all of this, these things that we need to do, and he sums it up and says, there's no way you're going to be able to do it apart from the grace of God. When you have grace, then you have power to do all of this. But if you try to do this on your own, it ain't going to work. For our God is a consuming fire, which means he wants all of you. He gave you all of him. He wants all of you. We did it. Praise God. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Lord, we're here on a Wednesday night. I believe I'm with people who come on a Wednesday night because they want to be better. They want to experience better. They want to know better. They want to know you more. They want more experience in your presence among your, amongst your people, Lord, greater experiences with you. And, Father, I'm asking you tonight that, that, that they would flow in the flow of your grace. Not outside, not striving, not driven, but, Father, flowing in your grace. Living this life with your power at work. As Paul said, it's his power that is working in me. Let your power work in us, Lord. That our walk will not be one of struggling and strain, but one of rest. One that we are happy to do whatever it takes to live for you. We don't live our lives with a grudging obligation. No, it's a glorious obsession. Hallelujah. To bless our God, to please our God, to love our God. Because he first loved us, that has made it all possible. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your blessing upon every family that's here tonight, every individual. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name that when they go from here tonight, they go in the grace and the peace of God. That you would grant them, Lord, peaceful sleep tonight. And that when they wake up in the morning, they will be strengthened and refreshed and, Lord, rejuvenated with the theme, this theme song in their heart and in their mouth. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.